Thank you, Brother Andy. I want you to look again, Job 41. And in fact, a couple of texts, we'll be looking at a lot of this in the book of Job in a few moments. But first of all, verse 1 says, Canst thou draw out Leviathan, that's an animal, of course, a beast, with an hook. Just before this, in chapter 40, you'll notice verse 15 says, Behold, God says, God is speaking here, Behold, now behemoth, which I made with thee, eateth grass as an ox. There are certain words repeated so often in the English language uh, in our culture and our society that sometimes you hear them so many times that people forget that sometimes these words aren't even real, or at least they're not accurate. The word prehistoric, for example. You know, your kids are brought up hearing that word over and over and over and over again, and the truth is if you believe the Bible, and anyone with wisdom does believe the Bible, you know that there really is no such thing as prehistory. The book of Genesis is history, and it begins at the beginning of all beginnings. A lot of words, um, words, for example, referring to the geologic time periods, the Paleozoic and the Jurassic and so forth, Cambrian, you know that these are relatively brand new terms. They have also changed. They've been added to, they've been redacted, they've been revised to this very day. Not all geologists agree on most of them. But because you hear them so often in media and films and school and grade school and books and so forth, it's just assumed that it's all sort of settled, all of it is settled facts, like prehistoric. And the same thing is true with the word dinosaur. The word, that word dinosaur never existed in the English language, in any language, until 1841. Sir Richard Owen took two Greek words, dinos, which means terrible, and saros, which means lizard. It's accurate enough for sure. But he took those words, put them together to describe what the fossil that they had discovered up until that time may have looked like if they added meat to it. Many of you know that I love the book of Job. I've always loved it, and especially I love this particular portion of the book of Job, in part because here you have not Eliphaz's ramblings and not Bildad's opinions or Elihu's ideas. You don't even have Job's own observations here. This time, what we have in the book of Job are God's own words, and thus his sermon about all that has happened in Job's life to this point, and we know the horrible things that Job endured in his life. So that this is a sermon by God about God. For example, just look at a few things that's said here. Turn back to chapter 38 and verse 1. And again, I just love all of this text where God speaks. It says, The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Now this is after Job's long diatribe. Long, and I don't blame him for anything that he said. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Well, that's a rebuke. Gird up now thy loins like a man. How, how would you like for God to say, get ready for this? For I will demand of thee and answer thou me. You tell me, you tell me, where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Chapter 39 and verse 1, and I'm going to read all of it. That's why I'm just skipping ahead. But this is God still speaking all through chapter 38. 39, knowest thou the time? When the wild goats of the rock bring forth, or canst thou mark when the hinds do calve? Down in chapter 40, you'll notice verse 1. 
Moreover, the Lord answered Job. So it's still going on. Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. What do you think Job's going to say after all of this? Well, basically, he says in verse 3, Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I'm vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. He should have done that six chapters before this. Sometimes we should do that. Now, of course, this is in response to Job's dilemma. This is God's own answer. This is God's own sermon, if you will, to the situation that Job found himself in. And you know, beloved, I have to tell you that if you read every, every word, every verse, every syllable that God gives and God speaks to Job, you will find that God does not answer the question, why do the righteous suffer? Now, I say that because if you were to go to my library back there or the one I have at home or the one I used to have and you have at your home now in these days um, that I've loaned out and you would look at basically every book commentary I have on Job about eight out of ten of them will say the theme of Job is the theme is why do the righteous God answers the question why do the righteous suffer well folks if that question was answered it wasn't answered for Job It wasn't answered in the notes of one of my study Bibles. Dr. Rice says the book of Job addresses the question, why do the righteous suffer? And that would be more accurate. In other words, we may never know why a missionary's wife is shot and killed on the field. We may never know why in this life, Brother Roloff died in a plane crash. We may never know why a pastor gets cancer and suffers for two years before leaving his congregation. God may not answer that in this life. But in Job, he does address it. He doesn't tell Job why. Most anything. We know why, because God rolled back the curtain for us. If you take everything that God says here, every truth, every word, every illumination and illustration... You can pretty much boil it all down to the entire answer to Job to three or four very simple, powerful observations. I hope, I pray that you and I will take with us tonight. For example, the first most obvious observation is that in God's message is that Job, this is God speaking, Job, there is in your sorrow a witness. There is a witness for you to see. Chapter 40, again, verse 15. Behold, Job, behold, look. Behold now behemoth, which I made with thee. Behold. In other words, Job, take my hand and come over here. I want to show you something. Here is behemoth. Behold my creation. In the very next chapter, as Brother Andy read, we all read it together. Behold Leviathan. In the chapter before this, God says, Behold the eagle and the hawk. Behold the grasshopper and the deer. In the chapter before that, God says, Behold the foundations of the earth. Where were you? He says, Behold the stars and the seas and the mountains and the constellations. God says, Job, canst thou bind the sweet influences of Pleiades and loose the bands of Orion? Can you do that, Job? Knowest thou the ordinances of heaven? And who hath clothed the horse's neck with thunder? What powerful language. Who provideth the raven his food? In other words, behold, Job, look around. 
There is a witness for you to see everywhere and every single day. There's a testimony, Job, about me that applies to your current situation as awful as it is. And that testimony says, I created all of this. I created all things and I control all things and I command all things. And yes, God wanted Job to be convicted, but also comforted by all of this. Job, I've left you a witness. Perhaps you cannot see me with your eye and you cannot hear me and you cannot touch me with your hands, but I have left you by my own deliberation, a picture, a much bigger picture, by the way, than all of your trials. And that picture testifies that I am omniscient, that I am omnipotent, and that no matter what, I am on my throne. Look at chapter 37. Go back, would you? Verse 14. Hearken unto this, O Job. Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. If you've ever wondered why Satan has spent a couple hundred years now trying to turn creation into nature, mother nature, know why. The heavens declare the glory of God. You look at a beautiful sunrise or a mountain peak, those things take your breath away. The Grand Canyon, a little baby, but the world, the devil wants you to think it's all just just nothing. It's an accident. It's a chance. And so God says, Job, look at this. There's a witness to see. And that witness testifies that I'm a mighty God. Everything is under control. And everything is on schedule. And everything works together for good to them who love God. Whether your circumstances are good or not, and they were not good, understand that it wasn't God who took Job's children. It wasn't God who killed all of those servants. That was man's work and Satan's work. But Job still needed to know that God was always big enough and great enough to do anything that was in his own will. So, in other words, God is still not telling Job why. God is not telling Job why. He just tells him to look at the bigger picture, and that's what all of us always need to do. We must, in this troubled world, At least recognize that he who measured the seas in the hollow of his hand, as Isaiah said, also holds you in the hollow of his hand. The same God who numbers and names all of the stars knows your name and numbers the hairs on your head. This morning I was praying for Tyler and Katie and that God would comfort their hearts and just praying that they would rest in the power of and the omniscience of their God. Folks, it makes a difference. It makes an eternal difference when you realize who God is. When you realize what He knows and what He can do. Many years ago, I was down at the old, many, many years ago, I was in my early 30s and I was at Lone Pine on military trail just chipping and practicing golf shots. And suddenly these two teenagers and their dad came over to me and And they started asking me questions, golf questions, tips, just asking me, you know, hey, and they were very um, animated, enthusiastic about it. Lots of questions about putting and chipping and how do you do this and 
And, and being the hacker that I was and am, I gave them advice, all the advice they wanted. And they were so eager to hear and they were so nice about it. And, and even when they left, they were just like, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. It was over the top. After they left, I found out why. A good friend of mine, left-handed golfer, very good golfer. I saw him over on the putting green. He was cracking up laughing. And I said, what? He said, well, those guys came over and they said that I looked familiar, that you looked familiar. I told them you were Jack Nicklaus's son. <laughs> Talk about a disappointment. I mean, had nothing to do with Jim Blaylock's skills. But they thought, they thought I knew something. They thought I could do something. And that does make a difference. It really makes a difference when you realize how much God knows, how powerful he is, what God has done. You don't mind putting your life and your situation in the hands of a God who can make all of this creation. Look here, Job. This is what God says. Look here. Look around you and consider all my wondrous works. Look at what I did with my word, just my word, and put that reality up against your trial right now. And folks, we can do that. We're supposed to do that. That's what's called faith. And he is the object of your faith. The second observation of the text, we said, number one, there's a witness to see. It testifies of God's greatness. Number two, there is a world to enjoy. It's interesting that God points Job to this. But I know why. Look at chapter 40 again, would you? Verse 20 says, Surely the mountains bring him, that's behemoth, bring him forth food, where all of the beasts of the field play. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Why does God bring up the fact that even the animals, even the biggest ones, play and enjoy food? What's the point of that? And by the way, this is not the only time by any stretch that the goodness of God and the blessings of God are noted by God to Job. Look at chapter 39, would you please? Just a page or two back. And look at all these. Verse 4, their young ones are in good liking. They grow up with corn. They go forth and return not unto them. Verse 8, the range of the mountains is his pasture. He searcheth after every green thing. Verse 13, gavest thou the goodly wings unto the peacocks? Did you do that, Job? Or wings and feathers unto the ostrich, which leaveth her eggs in the earth? And so it goes on and on over and again. God reminds Job that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Now think about that. If it's beautiful, if it's tasty or fulfilling or enjoyable or satisfying or loving or lovable, if it's pure and blessed and joyful, whatever it is, please never forget. And God says this to Job. Every good thing in its pure form is a blessing from him. It's a blessing from God. At least, God says, you should balance your trials. As horrible as they are for Job, Balance those on the scale of God's goodness to you. I read an interesting set of stats the other day, and I'm going to read them to you. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you are more blessed than the 700,000 people who will not survive until next Sunday. If you have never experienced the danger of battle, prison, torture, or starvation, you are automatically ahead of 500 million people in the rest of the world. If you can go to church and pray and sing and worship in freedom, you are more blessed than three billion people on the earth. If you have food in the fridge, clothes on your back, and a roof over your head, then right now you are richer than four billion people in the world. 
It goes on to say, if you have any money in your wallet, any money in a bank, or even change in a dish somewhere in your house, you're among the top 8% of the world's wealthiest people. The stats go on like this, one after another. Just giving sort of perspective of our lot in life. And of course, we really don't need statistics. In fact, it's interesting, there's this detail God gives about this, this huge animal, all of them really. Look again at chapter 40. And I love this. In verse 15, you remember he says, Behold now, behemoth which I made with thee, he eateth grass as an ox. And it starts describing him. His strength is in his loins and his, his forces, the navel's belly. He moveth his tail like a cedar. That's why people say, well, I think it's an elephant. It's not an elephant. Just read it. It's not an elephant. And you keep reading all along, and God gives these amazing things. He's the chief, verse 19. He's the chief of the ways of God. This is like the top apex animal that God made. But then it goes on to say this. Verse 21, he lieth, behemoth, he lieth under the shady trees in the covert of the reed and ferns, fins. The shady trees cover him with their shadow. Now, wait a minute. Shady trees. Did you know that large animals like Job is described here thrive on shade both as necessary and as comforting? In other words, Job, I provided shade. I provided shade before I created the animal that would need that shade one day. And of course, never mind the animals. I'm a behemoth. I need shade in South Florida. Amen? We all do. So that you see, think about this. Apart from the big things in life that we know are blessings from God, like our family, our health, our job, our church, things we either moan to God about or just take for granted how about this God says Job how about the shade trees is there anything more unsubstantial physically in life than shade but Job how about these shade trees in other words little blessings the everyday common grace of daily life that you and I enjoy every single day the shady tree of fresh air oxygen to breathe Sunlight during the day. Oh, come on, Pastor, for crying out loud, you're not going to tell me that I should be grateful for oxygen, for emphasize the air that I breathe? Really? Well, is COVID that far removed that you don't remember people who struggled for every single breath? Air and oxygen are more substantial than shade is. Shade is just the shadow. But God points it out. Have you ever been underwater longer than your lungs wanted you to be? You'll be thankful for air. It is precious. And you realize that every single breath you take is because of the grace of God. What about the shade tree of the food that you ate today and you will eat tomorrow or tonight? Not the necessary daily bread, but the shade tree stuff. The extra helping of grace that you and I take for granted. I remember reading years ago a book called The Death and Life of Dithpran. It wasn't the life and death, it was the death and life. If you've read the book, you know why that title says it. Dithpran was a survivor of the Cambodian killing fields where two million Cambodians were either executed or starved to death by Khmer Rouge, Khmer Rouge communists. 
And one of the more striking things about his heroic story to me is how he describes the preciousness when he was starving. But the preciousness, he said, of a single small tomato or one tiny carrot that they might come across. Forced laborers typically lived for three to four years. They were forced laborers. They were intended to die. That's why millions died. And they lived on just some rice gruel that was rotting, slowly starving these people to death. It was rancid. And so living on that every day, if ever, if ever, in the midst of that stark existence, if ever they saw one single piece of fruit anywhere, if they saw a vegetable that actually had color to it, it made their heart sing with joy. One night, he wrote, desperate for food, Dithpron noticed across the way some grain. Of course, it was for the Khmer Rouge, not for them. He knew full well that if he reached out for it, he would either be executed or beaten. And yet he said, I reached out. I grabbed a handful of it and threw it in my mouth just, just to eat it dry. And he says, as I began to eat it, they came upon me and they beat me and they beat me and they broke my bones and they left me to die. In fact, the fact that he survived all of this to write that book is a miracle. But he said it didn't matter to him. He lay there in pain thinking it was so good that it was worth it. Dry grain. Every broken bone and open sore. Well, folks, every day of our lives, we sit under the shade tree of God's everyday goodness. We rest under the shadow of his everyday simplest blessings, food and water and air to breathe. And that's not all. What about the shade trees of our friends and fellowship and and fun? You say, Pastor, I don't believe in having fun. I know I can tell. (laughs) But that's not how God feels. We just read it in verse 20. It says the beasts of the field play. The beasts of the field play in those fields. Now, wait a minute. I looked up that word play because I thought, I wonder if that means what what we think it means. And sure enough, it does. Matter of fact, twice in Job, it's translated as, quote, to laugh. Several times it's translated as to make merry. It's the same word Zechariah used in his great prophecy of the coming kingdom of our Lord where it says, the streets shall be full of boys and girls playing therein. They get to play in the streets in the kingdom, amen. Look at God's creation. Grass, sand, water, trees. That is literally a golf course, amen. (laughs) Right, Brother Kevin? Paul said, I have finished my course. Irons, sharpen iron, something like that. Solomon, I don't know. That's how I read it. <laughs> the whole earth is a golf course. But seriously, the shade, just the common shade of fellowship and friends and laughter and joy, that's the goodness of God that can, if you recognize where it comes from, that can make all the difference in the world. I know it's a common theme from this pulpit, and especially on Sunday mornings. But Christians can never be reminded too much that God is good and that God is good all of the time. We can never overemphasize the grace of God. And by the way, all this helpful and beneficial shade, 
Can I ask you a question? When, when did the behemoth plant those trees? When did that big creature provide for that shade which now he enjoys? Where did he get the foresight to do all of that? He didn't. He just shows up and plops himself down under it. And that's the way God designed it. There's an old proverb, you know, that says one generation plants a tree, the next generation enjoys the shade of it. In other words, the behemoth isn't alone. When it comes, beloved, to enjoying and receiving blessings, benefits from the shade that it did not provide. And God says, Job, you know that's true. All of your blessings, he's going to double his blessings. All the blessings you had before I allowed Satan, which God doesn't tell him that. All of those were from me in the first place. And every single one of us here tonight who enjoys the blessings of the shady trees that we did not plant, we did not cultivate. And by the way, that's fine so long as you're mindful, so long as you're grateful, so long as you're responsible with the shade from God that you enjoy. We are not beasts like Leviathan and Behemoth. We're children of God. And as such, we are always to recognize, as Paul said, that we are debtors. We're beneficiaries of somebody else's goodness and investment, namely God. Which brings us to the third observation in the text. Number three, there is a work to do. Chapter 42, would you look at it with me in verse 10? I've always been intrigued by this verse. Especially if you read the book of Job in one sitting. Just start at the beginning, read it all the way through. When you come to this verse, it just jumps out of the page. It says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job, every horrible thing that happened, when he prayed for his friends. Now the implication here is that there's a cause and effect at work, and that because Job prayed for his friends, therefore God turned his captivity. I'm not positive about that. What I do know is that Job's actions pleased God. It also proved to Satan what God said at the beginning of this book. Hast thou considered my servant, Job? Not my king, not the president, my servant, Job. Job was a servant who did not live for substance, who did not live for stuff as Satan claimed, as Satan told God in his presence. He was a man whose life was always touching other people. Always. Satan said, doth Job fear God for nothing, for naught? Do you think there's no, he doesn't have something in it? He thinks there's something in it for him. Of course he did. And Satan said back in chapter 1, not only is Job in this, he's in this for the money, for the goods. It's not you, God. It's your stuff. It's not others. It's himself. And boy, was Satan proved wrong. Job did not just pray for his friends. Now, these were lousy friends. Miserable comforters are ye all, Job said. He didn't just pray for his friends. You may remember he prayed every day and sacrificed for his family and his servants and anyone he could. His life was a blessing to other people. And that continued to be so for many generations. In fact, to this very moment to you and I tonight. We noted the shade we enjoy because of the foresight and selflessness of others before us. That is exactly what Job's life was and did before all of his trials. We are blessed. We are shaded by other people's 
convictions before us, by their courage, by their morality, by their commitment. The question is, what kind of trees are we planting? What is your life doing? What is my life doing? What kind of trees are we planting with our lives so that we provide shade that others will enjoy? The next generation, from all the blistering heat of the Antichrist-dominated society that's here and coming. People who are only, quote, in it for themselves don't only think ahead at all for the next generation or work to provide shade for their children or children's children. They're just, as Jesus said about the fig tree, they're just taking up a spot of land and that fig tree was cursed. They're worth nothing. God turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. There is a work to do. There is everywhere a witness to behold. There is a world to enjoy. These are three truths that God sent to Job in the midst of a world that to him was falling absolutely apart. But they are truths tonight, any one of which God can use in your life and mine to bring us through our own current trials. Our heads are bowed, please, for a moment, and our eyes are closed. How about you tonight? Are you trusting God? Do you see how great and powerful He is? Are you thankful? truly grateful for all of his blessings including the smallest ones of the shade recognize that not only the trials and the tears of life come to you but so does the glory and the goodness of God and finally are you aware there's still a work to do that you're supposed to be planting trees that you too should should and can provide shade for people down the road Pastor Blalock, I'm here tonight. I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God by His grace. And I'm saved. But I needed this reminder. I needed this scripture tonight. And God has spoken to my heart about something. Who would say that with uplifted hands through the building as you raise your hands? God bless you and amen. Perhaps you're here tonight and you're not sure about your salvation. You don't know if you died tonight, you'd be in heaven. I mentioned earlier in the message that, that creation declares the glory of God. Every culture that's ever existed on the face of this earth for the past 6,000 years, everyone has had some sort of upreach. There has to be a God somewhere. Creation testifies. And what creation wants to tell you is that Jesus made this. God made it with a word. And that God came down and died for your sins and was resurrected. And if you're here tonight you're not saved or watching by live stream, can I tell you that tonight you can be? Pastor Blalock, that's me. I'm not sure that I'm saved, but would you pray for me? And that's all I'll do. I'll just pray. Pray for me that I could be sure. I'm not sure my sins are forgiven tonight. My name's in heaven. Pray for me with heads bowed. No one looking. Who would say that? Would you lift your hand up real high until we see it if you're not sure about your own salvation? Okay. We're going to pray in a moment and have a time of invitation. Brother Kevin will come and lead us. Brother Andy will be here at the front if you need to speak with someone. And if God has spoken to your heart, obey his voice, won't you? Father, thank you. Thank you that, that there are some things in life we don't get the answer to why. Thank you for the book of Job where if anybody, if anybody wanted to know why, it was him. And yet what you did was show him your omnipotence, your omniscience, your goodness, your faithfulness. May we see the very same things. And for these who have asked for prayer, draw them to you. I know, Lord, there are hearts that are breaking. 
There are folks whose lives are on the very edge right now, Lord. And they're struggling. There are folks listening online now who are just on the cusp. And I ask, Father, that you, you will use your word in their lives tonight to strengthen them, that they will trust you. You said in your word, you're nigh unto those that have a broken heart. You were close to Job, even though he said he couldn't see or feel or touch you. Help them in their faith. Bless these who've asked for prayer in Jesus' name. 